This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Melanated Faith. Today's episode is called Black Card Revoked. This is going to be a really great episode. I really think you are going to enjoy it. Um, But if you didn't know, Black Card Revoked is also the name of a really fun game. And so we thought, why not start off with a little bit of fun? So we're going to be asking each other some um, Black Card Revoked questions. And um, I think this will be a really fun way to get us kicked off for the show. Yes. So the object of the game is you should know the premise of the game is these are questions that you if you're black, you should know the answer to. If you don't, you lose your black card. Your black card is revoked. So faith is going to go first. Um, Okay. so question number one, all your life, you've had to a obey your mom, B, fight, C, tell the truth, B, fight. Yes. Um, the <laughs> iconic quote from The Color Purple. I feel like I knew all my life I had to fight before I had ever even seen the movie or read the book. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I knew that too. I didn't even know. I was like, I haven't even seen the movie. Um, okay. Question number two. I don't have to do anything except A, pay taxes and mind my business. B, clean my house and keep my nose clean. C, stay black and die. I've heard different black people say different iterations of this. So I am going to say what I've always heard, which is C, stay black and die. Yes, that is the correct answer. (laughs) Okay. Um, Question number three. If young Metro don't trust you, what might future do? A, shoot you. B, I don't know who that is. C, call the police. You know, I'm not sure the answer to this, but I'm going to go with A. It is. The correct answer is A, shoot you. Um, Young Metro, if you're not a Gen Z millennial, is a quasi-famous, pretty famous producer. And this is like his tagline um, That when his songs start. Um, Okay, this should be an easier one. Um, Number four, the blacker the berry, A, the more pesticides you should use, B, the sweeter the juice, C, the better it is for wine. Um, It is the sweeter the juice, which I think is B. Great job. Faith, you're doing excellent. Okay, last question. Who wrote the autobiography of Malcolm X? A, Alex Haley, B, Malcolm X, C, James Baldwin. So my inclination is to go back and forth between A and B, but I think it's A, which is Alex Haley. Yes, that is correct. That was a trick question. I think Malcolm X told his story to Alex Haley, who wrote it down. So, which is why it technically qualifies as an autobiography. Mm, See, so they be trying to get you because I was like, I thought Malcolm wrote his own autobiography. <laughs> um, but I, uh, but I, but like, I remember hearing the name Alex Haley. So, like, I feel like I've had it like associated in my head both ways. Yes. Anyway, yes, great job, Faith. You kept your black card. 
you know, I'm just really trying. But I'm going to be honest with y'all. When I play this game with a bunch of people and, like, there's other harder questions, I lose. And my black card does get revoked. So... <laughs> Okay. Um, hi, <laughs> Catherine. It's your turn. So here's your uh, first question. What might mama tell you before going into any store? A, don't touch nothing. B, don't ask for nothing. C, don't look at nothing. And then there's D, all of the above. Um, I don't know about your mom, but the answer in the Freeman household is D, all of the above. You don't touch anything. Don't even look at anything. Because if you look at something, you might get ideas and definitely don't ask for anything. <laughs> that is definitely a no-no. Don't ask for anything. <laughs> that is correct. Okay. You will definitely know this one. What does Beyonce carry in her bag? A, a bat. B, pepper spray. C, a slap for Jay-Z. Or D, hot sauce. Well, I do think that we should acknowledge that she should carry some slaps for jay-z <laughs> but the correct answer is d hot sauce <laughs> there you go what does it mean if your ear keeps itching a you need to wash b somebody is talking about you c you need to see a doctor or d you're about to fall in love b someone is talking about you yes who played ricky in boys in the hood a ice cube B, Tupac, C, Morris Chestnut, D, Cuba Gooden Jr. Okay, let me just get in my head. Ricky! Okay. Um, <laughs> it is... Oh, okay, so I get the character... Oh, gosh. Mm, I'm pretty sure if I visualize that scene, it is Morris Chestnut running. So I'm going to go with Morris Chestnut, C. You are correct. <laughs> what? Look at her. She just dissected the scene I, and everything. I'm like, so I'm really shocked that I remember that. I, I just, I think that scene is just really memorable. I don't think I've seen that movie that many times. So I'm really proud of myself for getting that one right. <laughs> and then a scrub is a, a cleaning device, B, an outfit worn by doctors, C, a beauty product, or D, a guy that can't get no love for me. <laughs> D. Middle school Catherine is like stoked. A guy that cannot get no love from me. Thank you, TLC. Last question. Who taught you how to spell independent? A. A teacher. B. Destiny's child. C. Lil Webby. D. Lil Boosie. Okay. <laughs> so I love this question. The, I think people who know me would think the answer is Destiny's Child, but they don't spell out independent and independent women. So no. I'm going to say Little Webby taught me how to spell it correctly and in a way that's rhythmic and fun to remember. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. If you don't know, come on, y'all. You need to just play that back. <laughs> okay, so this was a really, really fun um, game to play, y'all. Um, for us, like, especially with my friends in Houston, we used to play Black Card Revoked all of the time. Okay, but we're going to jump into our show. So, Catherine, um, 
Let's talk a little bit about like blackness. Why are the limited notions of blackness harmful? Um, I think it's harmful because it's very like, I mean, obviously like limiting in the sense that like, I think it makes it feel like you can only, the only way to be black is this one way. And I think it's also tied to can sometimes be tied to this idea of white is right, right? So it's like, I don't know, if you like country music or you speak a certain way and um, that you're acting white. And so then it becomes this sort of, yeah, where things that are stereotypically black can be treated as bad and things that are stereotypically white are like automatically better or good. But I also think just for kids, it's like, you know, you just don't get to explore the fullness of um, creation or just things that you're interested in because you're really worried about like, oh, I don't want to be the wrong kind of black person. Mm-hmm. I also think too that one of the most like interesting parts of this is that there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different cultural norms. And if you feel like you are going outside of those cultural norms, it can be like, oh wait, like do I, do I want to like go this direction or not? Like, is my black heart going to be revoked? And I think like when we um like really limit ourselves and limit our thoughts and perceptions of what blackness is, we don't actually like explore like what else there is um, out there for us. Also, this goes to like perceptions people put on you, if that makes any sense. So like um, people um, might have an idea of what this looks like, of what blackness looks like. And if you're in an environment where you're one of the few black people, um, you can start to feel like, oh, like, am I limited to what people just think of me? They might just think of me as an athlete, but let's say you want to like, you know, write plays or you want to act in plays, like you're more than just like what people's limited perception is of you. And I think it can be um, hard sometimes if you don't have people like um, exploring outside of the boxes of what people or society or culture tells you to be. And so I think that's why it's great to just really find your interest, whatever those might be, even if they're different. Yeah, I agree. Whatever you're interested in. And that's the thing. It's like whatever you're interested in is the black thing to be interested in, right? Because you're a black person. It's like... um, um, Lizzo, someone did an interview with Lizzo and they were like, um, what do you say to your critics that say you don't make black music? And she was like, well, I'm a black woman and I make music. So I make black music. And I like mm-hmm. love this of like, let's reframe that idea of like, if you're into like gaming or like nerdy stuff or whatever, um, that there is a space for you. You can be that and still be the quote unquote right type of black person. Um, okay, so Faith, maybe from your childhood or like personal experiences growing up, were you ever told that you spoke like a white girl? And then how did that make you feel? And how do you get out of that sort of those sort of maybe negative or limited perceptions? Yeah, so I was told that I talk like a white girl from white people. And I was also told it by black people like have said it to me too. And um, I used to tell people when I was little, like my mom does not allow me to talk slang. Like it just she doesn't let me and it's not allowed in our household. And so that was just something that she just didn't prefer. And it wasn't that we didn't know how to. It's just it's just that she was like, that's just not what I want you to do. So we weren't um, allowed. And I think for me, sometimes it felt like I was kind of like on the out when it was with my my uh, with, when it, when black people said it to me, it felt a little bit different. Um, but when white people said it to me, it felt like, oh, see, like we're kind of like accepting you because you're not one of them, you know. And 
I, it took me time to really like deconstruct and, and work through my identity. But one thing I realized was that accepting that somebody is accepting me um, because they feel like I have more of a proximity to whiteness is not the kind of acceptance that I want. And I also had to gain confidence in my own self to say, it doesn't matter how I talk, I'm black. And there's nothing that is changing that. I'm not exempt from anything that um, I've experienced just because I talk this way. And talking this way isn't going to, like, help people, you know, truly see my um, humanity, if that makes any sense. Like, people who talk properly aren't any less likely to experience racism or, you know, any of those other things. And so I just had to accept, like, I'm black. This is how I talk, and I'm not doing this to fit in with anyone. I'm not doing this to please anybody. Um, I'm just showing up as my full self, and I had to be okay with that regardless of what anybody had to say about it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I was told the same thing, too, by white and black people growing up, and I think to the the thing that you said about, like, I think it took me a while you know, I can remember being younger and feeling like, oh, wow, like, yes, like I'm getting this right. And then getting to a point of like realizing that particularly when white people say that it's coming from a place of like you feel like sort of quote unquote slang is bad or like black vernacular is bad. And I don't believe that to be true. So you're telling me this in a way that you're trying to put down other African-Americans. And the honest, you know, I don't know that we've had a conversation about code switching on the podcast yet, but the reality is what you're getting (laughs) is not always how I speak with my family and friends. I mean, like, that's the reality of it, that there is this kind of, for lack of a better word, code switching. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically minorities when they're in with majority culture, how they kind of try to hide their own cultural markers to fit in um, or to be socially acceptable. And so I think, yeah, just getting to a place of like, this is how I talk. Um, And I also speak slang. I also have a law degree and I'm not less smart or African-Americans that use African-American vernacular are not less smart. Um, And the funny thing is like, we can see that, right? Because you see all these like Nike commercials or like Sprite. Sprite is like notorious for this, for taking black slang. What is, um, I'm trying to think of some examples of like, oh, on fleek, slay, you see like prey, slay, you know, I see like white suburban moms with these shirts on and it's like, that came from black culture. And so then to say like, oh, well you speak white, so you're somehow better or smarter. It's like, well, that's not actually true because you're yeah. happy to participate in this culture um, as long as it doesn't come from black people. And I think that's what you're getting at of like the this whole idea of like that can be rooted in anti-blackness and like not wanting to yeah. participate in that um, system. And so, yeah, I don't it makes me feel uncomfortable now, but I definitely know there was a time in my life where I was like, oh, this is great. Like I'm the right. Oh, kind, yeah, I'm the right kind of black person. And it's yeah, like me too. Um, but the thing is, you quickly learn as you said like being the right kind of black person doesn't protect you from really anything just like maybe you it lulls you into a sense of comfort and then you know the sunken place the sunken place and then you're reminded oh no there is no right kind of black person (laughs) exactly exactly you you can be the right kind of black person and still um be chased around a store and 
because, you know, when people are racist and have racist ideas, it doesn't matter. Like, they're not going to, they don't give you the space to show, like, oh, I have a law degree or, oh, I have a master's degree, you know. You don't get a pass. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I completely agree that it, like, you got to be careful with stuff like that because it is, it can be rooted in anti-Blackness. Yeah, it can be. And as you were talking, one thing I was thinking about was so the other day my brother and I were at the golf course and um, we were doing this event for Be The Bridge and he was filming it and this guy was playing these like jams in his cart um, as he was driving his cart around and my brother like from a distance yells over to him and goes man that slaps everything you playing man that's hidden he was like oh man that's that stuff ain't it though that's that stuff ain't it though (laughs) And so I told him, I said, you know, to anybody else, they probably would not really like know what y'all are talking about. But like, it's just like what we understand. It's It really is that like AAE is that African American English. Like it's us talking to each other. Like, we understand what each other is saying. And you're right. Like we do say diff- we, I talk differently when I'm with like just my family. Like it's a different understanding, a different way of communicating. It's like funny that you say that because I also think of like um, my favorite thing is like black women in the way um, we give compliments of like, okay, polka dot. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like what does that even mean but it's like you look good in this polka dotted outfit that you're wearing yeah like okay hair nails okay nails you know or like i see you girl yeah oh yeah it's awesome i love it i love it okay so what is your favorite quote-unquote white activity um okay so i thought about this and i'm gonna okay my favorite quote-unquote white activity would be my love of taylor swift and then probably a close second this related is i do really like not all country music i don't like bro country but some country music i do really love like i love dolly parton and like miranda lambert so i would say that was probably my favorite white activity i mean I feel like I'm from Texas. I went to Texas A&M, very kind of trucks and back road. So you have to, you know, you have to find something that you like in that. And so you got to adapt. You got to adapt. You know, you want to be. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's a way to show hospitality. But I love Taylor Swift and I'm so glad that she's less problematic now. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, it's been good for me. And, you know, um, what about you? What's your favorite quote unquote white activity? So I'm going to say, so first thing, let me just say that when I worked in Austin, I worked at this um, for like maybe like less than a year. I worked at a placement agency and um, it's kind of like a nanny placement agency. Anyways, I was the only black woman and everybody was white. And I was really like the things that we did at lunch was like play Uno. And then everybody talked about The Bachelor and I remember thinking, I have nothing in common with these white people, and I, I just, I'm going to have to watch The Bachelor in order to have a common ground. Faith, <laughs> it is <laughs> excellent that you consider The Bachelor a white activity, because I think that too, and I like watch, but I'm like, I don't understand why, I don't understand it. So I appreciate you naming that it is that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I had watched like a season or something like once before, Um, But that season, like, I had to be invested. Like, I had to watch it in order to have something to talk about. And so this past season, I might have watched a little bit of it. And sometimes, like, I'll watch a little just depending on, like, you know, where I'm at with my reality shows. Because I do like reality shows, but 
typically the Bachelor's not like my favorite one. Um, like I did watch the one with Rachel, oh, the black sure. girl, because I was like, okay, you have yeah, to watch I gotta, you have I gotta to. watch that. Um, but anyways, so I would say that's the white activity. And the other thing that I would say, it's not my favorite, but it's just something that keeps happening to me is my friends will say, hey, do you want to go to so-and-so place? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, you know, it's just a really, like, we're just going to go up a hill. Um, and it's just not, it's like nothing, nothing bad. Like, it's just really quick. We're just going to walk through the woods or something. When I tell you it's like an accidental hike and I find myself constantly on these accidental hikes, I'm like, yo, y'all need to tell me I'm going on a hike. I keep showing up to these situations and we are like going up through woods and mountains and stuff. And like, that was not what my head was prepared for. So not against hike, but I'm not like a hike. Like I just love to hike. No, I would rather sit outside in nature with a book or, you know, my brunch or wine or something. But I'm really not trying to like, when the weekend hits, I'm not like, let's go through what? Like, let's go up. No, I think of like it's not me. Um, I think of like uh, going through the woods of like horror movies where people are like, I don't know where the guy, the villain is. Let's go hide in these woods, far away from phones and civilization, because then he won't get us. Where my phone doesn't <laughs> work. And it's like I just think, yeah, I yeah, I I feel like if black if that is a stereotypical why and not that black people don't hike. That's not what we're saying. Like this is why we're talking because about. Because I have a lot of friends that hike that are black. Yeah. So, but yeah. I think the idea is like that's typically something that's more associated with white people. And I just that but especially the through the woods part, because black people when bad things happen to black black people in our history where we wandered off to off-beaten roads or paths or tried to go through the woods. And so that is really some, you can't be springing no spontaneous trip through the woods. Yes. <laughs> I have to go with people. Also, I'm a single black woman. So if you, you will not find me in the woods by myself. That's all I gotta say you will, for that. You will, for sure. you will not catch Faith slipping in the woods. Oh, I was gonna say the idea about this being a thing about hospitality, right? So, like, your example is like perfect, right? Like, you started watching the bachelor to as a way to build a relationship and conversation with the women that you were working with and i think oftentimes people of color minorities we go above and beyond in doing that and trying to find ways in which to relate but i it would be great to see similar effort among our white brothers and sisters because oftentimes we're talking about you know things that are important to our cultural heritage or our you know and it's like um my angela who's that you know james baldwin who's that <laughs> you know like i mean there are certain people that that transcend like Beyonce I think most people know who she is or have some vague notion but you know like if you were talking about the latest SZA album you know and so I just think it would be great especially um as much effort that I know most black people go to go into to have these conversations and be a part of um conversations at work um with friends or wherever they go to church to see that same level of effort reciprocated I will say that so faith, okay, so we did something that's stereotypically white. What is one thing that's stereotypically black that you love? One thing that is stereotypically black that I love, I'm gonna it's a food item. <laughs> um <laughs> is chicken. Y'all, first of all, let me just say, um, when I was a child, I did not eat baby food. <laughs> and so my family, which 
y'all, this is just, I think I've heard of other black kids having this happen to them too. My family would, of course, like, just like feed me like a little bit of like what they ate, like regular food a little bit. Um, But they would also give me the um, chicken bones so I could like, you know, just like suck on them and stuff. Y'all, I love chicken so much. I have to say, due to the pandemic, I was probably at Wingstop at least once a week. I had to stop that because I have goals and um, that wasn't going to help me reach them. But, you know, just give me a 10-piece lemon pepper wings from Wingstop with fries hot with extra seasoning, the extra seasoning and a Sprite. And I am so happy. I love chicken, y'all, in the most stereotypical way. You can love chicken. Yes, I do. I love it. I like <laughs> black people love lemon pepper. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just like my, when my family orders from Wingstop, it's like, what kind do you want? Everybody, we all lemon pepper, maybe like 10 of something else. Like occasionally someone will be like, oh, Jamaican jerk. But always black people love lemon pepper chicken wings. I love that. Um, So mine is watermelon. And it is, I love it in any form. I love a great watermelon salad, um, the sort of watermelon agua fresca that's really popular in places in Texas. Um, But it's like one of those things where I will not eat it in public. I would never order. (laughs) I would never order. Yeah, I don't, like, I remember having, like, picnics and stuff, like, in law school or, like, with friends or, like, in mixed company where the watermelon is, like, sitting out. Like, if it's, like, a church picnic, I go to a predominantly black church. If it's not a church picnic, I'll have it. But, like, if it's a mixed company, I just, it just, no, I can't feed your, (laughs) like. Feeding into people's stereotypes. Like, oh, yeah, of course you're going to like the watermelon. Of course. Oh, look, you know, so, like, when we make comments about black people liking watermelon that are racist, um, so, yeah, so I, that is one thing I love, but I really har- probably hardly ever eat it in public just for those reasons of feeling like, oh, it's too, too stereotypically black. But I have a question for you. This just came to my head. How would you feel if somebody did not clear this with you, but in an effort to try to like honor your culture and heritage, um, made some, made, <laughs> made some Kool-Aid? Uh, No. <laughs> disrespect first of all like potato salad you can't just have anybody's kool-aid because a lot of people don't know the correct ratio (laughs) sugar water (laughs) i mean not anybody can just make kool-aid i mean i mean they lie to you in the commercial it's not simple um there's some mathematics involved but i also think okay so the whole time we were talking i was thinking of this thing so when i was in law school we had um for black history month one of the things that the black law students association would do would sell plates of food to like raise money for events of the year and one year so historically it had always been some sort of soul food dinner so like um fried chicken greens cornbread black eyed peas uh like sweet potatoes and then maybe like some sort of pie or cobbler on the side one year there was a huge debate within the organization about how that feeds stereotypes into feeding like fried chicken and it was like a whole i mean we spent an entire meeting probably several hours arguing back and forth about whether or not we should should do this because it feeds this stereotype that you know faith and i were talking about around food and so the compromise was like well we can um highlight lots of different african cultures so then 
then it was like it ended up being like a mismatch, like a mishmash of like you know like Nigerian food or like like Jamaican food or like other parts of like um, the diaspora. But it was really funny because the flavors did not mesh at all. But I mean, just to show you that, like, <laughs> I mean, a lot of thought. Black people are thinking about these things a lot, especially with mixed company of like not wanting to feed stereotypes, but then also being like, we're serving fried chicken because it's super easy to like get together we all like fried chicken this is something we would likely eat on a sunday after church but we this is not what we we can present to these 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 people at this institution (laughs) yes so i would say i appreciate maybe the thought like you're trying to create hospitality but i would also say don't you know for lack of like for a lack of a better term don't start none won't be none like just don't assume don't make any assumptions you know just serve iced tea and lemonade and if your friend shows up with Kool-Aid that they themselves made that's something else but don't try to make Kool-Aid or oh I know you people like chicken yeah that would be rough if I like if I showed up to somebody's house and Kool-Aid was like their bridge to me (laughs) I'd be like oh like I w- yeah that would not be it so please don't do that I asked that because I could just like feel like in my heart people's wheels are going to be turning they're going to be listening to this like oh my god like please don't please no, do exactly. not come up to me with lemon pepper chicken my favorite meal from Wingstop while I will love it just let me order, let me yeah. order it it's kind of like it's like a little it's I mean I know the intent is not disrespect but it is a little like you're a little too familiar and that and and um you know, that's another thing black people really just don't like. It's people that are a little too familiar. So it's like, let's ease into that. So like, don't start with lemon pepper or watermelon or fried chicken. Like, get to know. And there are black people that don't like that. So then, like, you know, like you've lots of unintentionally yeah. offended someone. So like, let people tell you who they are and what they like. Don't make assumptions. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, let's move forward here. <laughs> Let us move onward. Okay, so Catherine, why is healthy racial identity development important? Um, so I would be curious to hear what you say as a social worker, but I would think my thought would be um, that's who it's who you are. It's like a part of who you are. Um, and so just in the same way you want to grow um, – you know, if you're, you know, grow into being a woman or growing to being a man, like, I mean, knowing who, knowing, having a healthy sense of racial identity, I think is a part of what it means to be a healthy human being. Um, you know, using like sort of Christian language that God was intentional in creating you African-American, God was intentional in creating you white or European or Irish or, you know, wherever your family's in, is from, German. Um, God was intentional in that. And so, I mean, I think unhealthy identity formation, it's like you're wishing you were 
something else. And um, Toni Morrison wrote, you know, one of her most famous works, The Bluest Eye, about wishing you were blonde hair, blue eyed. Um, and that's damaging because it, yeah, I think not having a, self, a healthy racial identity puts you in a place where you're wishing you're something you weren't. It makes you make assumptions about who you actually are. You sort of feed into this idea that like being black, for example, is lesser than. And so you want to be sort of the right kind of black person to denigrate or separate yourself from other black people. Um, I think also a healthy racial identity, at least in my experience, I think it gives you empathy for people of other cultures and um, backgrounds because, you know, you're able to celebrate who you are and who God created you to be so you can help celebrate other people and who God created them to be. Um, But yeah, I would say it feels like that is... I mean, your race is not all of who you are, but it's such a big part of who you are and how you experience the world. If that lens is damaged, I mean, I, I, it would affect so many things. And so I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you would think as a social worker. So some people may or may not know about this, but um, the psychologist Kenneth and um, Mamie Clark are inventors of the Clark doll experiment, which is basically where they put two identical dolls in front of kids um in front of black kids it's a white doll and a black doll and so they ask like certain questions um to them like which doll is the um good doll or which doll is the bad doll and so they found that kids would point to the um white doll for like the good doll or the bad doll was the black doll and so that meant that by the age of three kids had already black Black kids specifically had attached negative traits to their identity. And how did they do that? It was perpetuated by what was around them, right? It was perpetuated by stereotypes, um, segregation, and and prejudice. And so it's really um, important for children to have a healthy sense of identity development. What does that mean for Black kids? You have to protect your kids because how they see people perceive them how they see people perceive you by the age of three they already have an assessment of who they are and who the world sees them as so the world already sees them as bad Um, they see that blonde or white is better nicer more attractive and desirable by the age of three so it's just really really important for um, kids to see and hear of themselves as being loved and valued and um, important. So one thing, like, my mom, she's, well, my mom is just great, but she started this, I don't know, let's say when we were, like, maybe nine, instead of saying, like, what we weren't or, like, what we weren't doing right, she would, I'm like, let's say I was not listening, Instead of saying, Faith, you just don't listen. You never listen to me. She started saying, Faith, you are such a good listener. You um, do such a good job listening to me. And I knew when she was saying that, that it was highly likely (laughs) that I was not listening. (laughs) Um, Francine is a master. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like her way of like affirming me. And she didn't want to like constantly like speak to the negative behavior And I think, you know, I'm not a parent, but I have seen the effects of speaking positively to a child versus like constant negativity. I think this is a 
especially imperative for black kids because when they are out of their parents' home, they are in the presence of other people who do not affirm their blackness. Um, Not everybody means harm, but not everyone is a safe person that is going to affirm your identity. This is going to all like go back into why we have the school to prison pipeline, why um, we have a lot of black kids that are um, disproportionately disciplined and sent to whether it's like detention or suspension or alternative um, learning schools for behavior. All of these things are associated with the fact that Black equals bad in a lot of people's minds, whether they see it or not. And subliminally, that has caused us to have the systems that we do and also overtly, right? So um, identity development is so key and important because if you can learn to love and affirm your blackness, that's going to really positively shape the rest of your life. Now, let me also say this. I had all of that in an amazing home and I still struggled with my identity and it took me time to unravel and find a love and a celebration for my whiteness because when you are in a lot of white spaces, you have to fight for your identity fight for your blackness um, because it is apparent and very like in ways that I don't think some white people see It is very apparent, though, that you either conform and be like us or you probably are not going to be accepted here. Yeah, there's very clear. It's it's funny because the lines are very clear, but they're not clear. Right. These sort of unspoken policing and fencing of black people's behavior. When you're talking about the school to prison pipeline, I was thinking about how um, we there was just a big New York Times article about protecting the childhood or the girlhood of black girls. And one of the girls that was interviewed in the um, article, she says, you know, we're taught, we they're wanting us to come to school to learn so that we can ask questions and be good citizens. But then when we ask questions, we're punished. And it's this idea of the way in which Black children do things is incorrect. And I want to just say that, like, being talkative or being active or being, um, you know, the type of learner that needs to, like, get your hands in and learn things that way is not inherently bad. Um, And for some reason, oftentimes in educational settings or whatever, when the children are white, that it's a good, um, it's fine. But if black children engage in that behavior, it's, it's bad. Um, And like, oh, you're a problem child. You know, you're, you're, you know, your kid talk, your daughter talks too much. We got to send her out of the classroom or your son, you know, and it's never, it's so interesting to me that when those things happen, it's never like a, a, um, um, an opportunity to take a step back and say, oh, well, maybe the way I'm teaching isn't reaching all of the children in the classroom. It's like, you black child can't conform to my idea of this. So you're bad. Um, Faith, I did want to ask you as a social worker, I know we do have um, listeners who are white and maybe have adopted black children or children that are not white. Um, They have adopted children that are not white. And so I know you've worked in that area before, but what would be some things that you could um, offer transracial adoptive parents on helping their kids have healthy racial identity. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is if you're an adoptive parent, um, if you are wanting to be an adoptive parent, to listen to adult adoptees. Um, That's very, very crucial. If you're not following adult adoptees, um, especially adult adoptees of color, 
like pause this and do that immediately. Go follow um, the Adoptee Influencers Network, and that is actually where there's um, adoptees that actually talk about their adoptive experience and I feel are credible uh, voices. So anyways, I would say start there because adoptees do not know and and much like a lot of us, like in some ways, do not know and cannot process their experience about being adopted until they're outside of the home, until they're grown up and they have their own thoughts about their child rearing, their experience, et cetera, et cetera. What I will say is this, if you as an adoptive parent have adopted a child of color, look around your life. Does everyone look like you? And if they do, you need to change your life. And I say change your life as in change things. Like I have friends who've literally moved to neighborhoods to more diverse neighborhoods who have um, changed churches and gone to more diverse churches and or like all black churches and um, really took time to build friendships with other people who did not look like them. They didn't tokenize people, but they put in the hard work to invest in relationships and friendships with those who are different If your child is constantly in an environment where they're the only one, not only in like work and church spaces, but also at home, you have no idea how isolating and lonely that is. I look back at my own journey and even my mom was like, gosh, you never told me half of the ways you felt like when you were in some of these environments when you were a kid and I didn't say anything to her and I, um, And I think to myself about the kids that I have even like placed in adoptive homes and like went through with their adoptions and they were with predominantly in white families. I think about them constantly because some of them had parents that were willing to sacrifice and put them in um, environments where they weren't the only ones and some of them didn't. And I have to like really pray sometimes because I was at a different place in life and I was a lot younger, but sometimes I feel so guilty for that because I'm like, those kids are going to feel so lonely and it doesn't matter what you tell me. Every single time I listen to adult adoptees speak, it is just apparent and real about how lonely it can be to be a person of color in a family that is all white. And after you listen to this, don't go to your kid and be like, are you lonely? Um, Please do not do that to them. Because first of all, you're their parent and they're not going to want to be like, I'm ungrateful. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're just, they're going to feel like they're being disrespectful and kids shouldn't feel that pressure to feel like, oh, I'm so lucky to have you. Like, no, 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 no. Like that's not the pressure kids need, but you do need to look around and you need to assess your life and just see like, How am I providing a space for them to see themselves in someone else? They're not going to see themselves and their identity maybe in me, but how can I surround myself with other people they can relate to and say, oh, I see myself in you, right? That is so important. So if if you don't hear anything else I'm saying, make sure you have people and friendships in your life where your kid can see a mirror of themselves, someone that looks like them. It's so important to identity development. 
Yeah, because I think we all, you know, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode when we were talking about our own upbringings. As kids catch as much as you teach them. So for you to say, well, you know, white isn't inherently better or whatever, but then you take them to a white church, they go to a white school, they live in a white neighborhood— all the adults they see are white, um, you know, what are they going to believe the way in which you're living your life or what you're actually saying to them? And so I think that's why, you know, what you're saying is really, really important. Um, yeah, they need to see people that look like them. They need to see their family prioritize and interact with people that look like them. Okay, well, we're going to wrap this segment up. But before we end, I wanted to ask Faith, um, how do you think Christians should think about racial identity and ethnicity? I think that Christians should see it. Like, uh, there's this lady who has this um, phrase, and I am forgetting her name, but she says, I see color and I love it. I wish that Christians were more inclined to see color, acknowledge the beauty of our differences in culture and heritage. I know some people who will say things like, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're one in Christ. As if that like kind of like erases my um, cultural heritage and identity. And it's like, yeah, okay. Like I hear what you're saying, but I'm still black. Like I still have a, a black experience in this world, in this country. And and so I think that like one of the most important things for Christians to think about and understand is like, first of all, like this is like in the Bible, people of different ethnicities, cultures and heritages, and that it is beautiful. It's not something to fear. It's not something um, to like ignore, but it's something to celebrate. And I think it's something to acknowledge. And if you can acknowledge a person's um, differences and their cultural heritage, you will also be able to acknowledge their grief and that they have a different lived experience in this country. And I think it really causes people um, to have empathy if they can really see a person's identity and ethnicity and it not just be like, nope, it's your identity in Christ. You know, like, yeah. it's just great. Yeah. But my identity in Christ is not like saving me from racism. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a piece of me. It's a part of me. Um, but in order for um, me to really live in and walk in this country, and have the experiences that I do. I need friendships and people that are willing to see me for my full self, who God has made me to be, and um, to be open not only to seeing it, but speaking up and acting because they see, wow, like she is made in the image of God. She is valuable. And I am not going to allow myself um, to be quiet or to look past like who she is um, beyond just like the commonality that we might have in our faith. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, I will say two things. So I think it's really popular now to be like, well, race is a social construct and race isn't in the Bible. You're right. The concept of race isn't in the Bible. The um, what's in the Bible is ethnicity, ethnos. Um, but even when you just really start looking at scripture and you look at the New Testament and you look at all the letters that Paul wrote, he spent a lot of time teaching how people of different ethnicities were to live together as Christians. And so this idea that it didn't matter. I mean, if you look at the context of that verse where Paul um, talks about being a Hebrew of Hebrews, well, why would he brag about that? Why would he be talking about that if it didn't matter? His Hebrew culture, his Jewish culture didn't matter. That's one. And so I think, you know, you're, it's right. Race is a social construct, but there are real experiences that were, you know, there was a whole hierarchy created on 
people with darker skin were exploited, colonialism, racism, chattel slavery, and people with lighter skin are, you know, were given preferential treatment. The laws and policies were created to maintain that structure. So when we're talking about race, we all agree that like, yeah, it is a social, it is a social construct, but that it has been constructed and there is a real experience tied with being from different races and different ethnicities. And I think to the thing you said, about, you know, if you go to Revelations, it talks about every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Again, why would that say that, that when we get to heaven, all that matters is we're kind of, uh, we're all one in Christ? No, like God was intentional in creating us with our ethnic identities, our languages, um, you know, however God created you, your Native American, your tribe, whatever. Um, And so to minimize that is in some ways to minimize God's creation um, and his intentional work Um, But one thing, okay, so this is really interesting that I learned today, so I'm going to share. So one of my classes is a class, we're outside on a farm because we're learning about creation. Um, And today's guest speaker was talking about um, ecology and like diversity in farming and ethical practices in farming. And one of the things he said, kind of just like as a throwaway line, is that diversity creates stability. So in nature, if every animal was the same and created the same, had the same function, basically the world, you know, the world would fall apart. Um, And I love that idea of diversity creating stability because it's like, yes, you need all of these different parts for there to be this sort of beautiful, flourishing um, world. And so this idea of like, you can celebrate diversity, that it does do something really important, that sameness is not necessarily good um and that there's something you know the fullness of who god is you know talks about in scripture we're created in the image of god um the fullness of who god is cannot be seen in any one racial identity or one ethnicity and so it takes all of us and so what is it that i can learn about god in my korean brothers and sisters or like and so i just think you know if i will leave with anything i think i agree like it's okay for people to celebrate their ethnic heritage or their racial heritage that does not take away from their identity identity in Christ um, because it's celebrating the work God did in creating them. And so, well, that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, This has been so fun. Faith and I have made it through a whole episode maintaining our black card. Um, And now (laughs) we are going to go into our favorite segment and yours, Go Off Sis. And so today I'm going to let Faith go first. Um, So the thing that I'm excited about is... Well, it's my birthday month, and I'm one of those people who believes in a whole birthday month. Um, Not everybody is this way. This is me, and I'm owning it, you know? So, do you think this is an eight thing? Because I also, July is my birthday month. We will be celebrating all month. I wonder if it could be. I don't know that. Well, it might be. It might be. Um, Because I have another friend in. I mean, it was basically like her, like a month and a half, maybe two months of her birthday. And she's like, I am celebrating it. But I'm turning 30. This is definitely my birthday month for me. It's my birthday month. I was supposed to be out of the country. I'm not going to be out of the country, obviously. Um, But don't you worry. In a few months from now, I'm going to find myself somewhere for a trip um, for my 30th. Um, But I am really excited. That's my bless. Am I excited by what I'm loving right now? Um, And then something that is just a mess. Well, y'all... 
Okay, so my mess is that a few weeks ago, um, a gentleman named Jonathan Price was um, shot by the police. There's um, still more to come on all of what happened, um, but essentially he was breaking up some kind of um, fight, domestic disturbance, and then just through a series of events, um, he was killed by the police. So that's really sad, and it just seems like, you know, it just seems like it just doesn't really matter what you do there's always something that comes up. And so I just think that the fatigue, I think, that the Black community feels um, has been just so much. And then now we're still dealing with COVID. And, you know, the other thing is just the amount of Black people in the Black community that I know have lost someone to this virus. It's just so many. And so when I see people say, oh, it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm really tender about that because I see how disproportionately the Black community has been affected by the virus. And everyone has someone somewhere that they have been they know or is in close proximity to them who has passed away from COVID and so just take it seriously and um, wear your mask and practice you know social distancing yeah no um, there was an article on the Atlantic and I'll include it in the show notes about the amount of grief black people are carrying between the pandemic and then just all the racial inequality and um, killings that have happened in the last couple of months that are just splattered all across the news but yeah I agree with that. I think it's, it has been, a, there's been a disproportionate effect. I mean, you know, and even in, on Sundays, I'm reminded of this on Sundays, most black churches are still closed. They're doing church solely online. A lot of white churches, I'm not sure um, in your area, but in my area, a lot of white churches have opened back up. Some of them, you know, they're requiring masks. You have to make a reservation. There's social distancing. But there's such a divide in even how we're experiencing this pandemic. Um, okay, so my bless is going to go out to the one and only Megan the Stallion. Um, she was, well, I think we talked about, was shot earlier this year. Um, but she performed the season premiere of Saturday Night Live, and she killed her performance. Um, she talked a lot about protecting black women and why protecting black women is important. But I just also, too, just really appreciate her resilience and she kind of her outlook on life of, like, you know, like I'm watching her perform and I'm like, man, earlier this summer, you had to have the surgery on your feet and not in a way that's like, oh, what happened to her wasn't real, but just that kind of, I, I think black women everywhere can identify with this, right? Of this, like, you have this drive, you have these goals, this sort of get up and go and like, whatever happened to you, sometimes it can veer in a place that's unhealthy. You're not dealing with, you know, your feelings, but I just watched that performance and I was just like in awe, like, wow, she really has, you know, gotten herself together. She's not wallowing. She is like moving moving on with her career. She knows what her goals are and she is not going to let this thing that happened become the defining thing of who she are who she is or dim her voice and I think you can celebrate that even if you don't agree with her music or you find her like lyrics too provocative I mean whenever I see a black woman just like thriving and really owning um that I really am always in awe of that because the world it's really hard and like some of us make it look really easy but I think the reality is it's like whenever I see you know a black woman in any sort of successful position it's like man I know what you sacrifice 
sacrificed and all the things you did to get to that place. And so I feel like for Megan, I just want to give her a shout out as my bless. Um, my mess, I think I was going to say something about the virus. Guys, we're still in a pandemic. Please wear your mask. Yes. Please socially distance. Like people are dying. And the thing about it is, is it's like, what does it mean to like love your neighbor? I think we are, you know, people have different access to healthcare. People, they, there's a lack of access to health insurance. So maybe for you, um, you're a person that has health insurance, you can go to the doctor and, you know, maybe your instance of coronavirus is relatively mild, but the chances are that you infect, you know, the bus driver, the Starbucks barista, the, these people that don't have the same access and the same resources than you. Like if you're a Christian to love your neighbor, means, yes, I realize I could get this and it's not going to be that hard for me. You know, I have, you know, paid leave. I have sick leave. But think about the people that you can infect that do not have those things. And a lot of the people of color that have died, it's because they're essential workers. They didn't have jobs where they could just work from home. And it's like someone's intentional or not carelessness. And so I just, please, 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 you know, care about other people as much as you care about yourself. Don't just think about how you, well, it's just like the flu for me. I could survive. Um, It's not that way for everyone. So I would say that. And then I would say, if you're in a state that is early voting and you can safely vote, vote in person, um, you know, it's a, a really great privilege to live mainly and it is a great privilege it is a great privilege to live in a democracy where you can vote about your representatives um that's not the only work you do um in terms of activism and advocacy like you should there should be more than just you know who you're voting for in october or november but that is a really important part so my other thing is to remind everyone to get out there and vote yeah um and man We're so glad you all joined us for this episode. This was a lot of fun. And more than anything, like we hope that this made you laugh, but also like challenged you um, in some really great ways. So keep up with us on social media at Melanated Faith. We love talking to you all. So talk back to us and then also join us on Patreon. We have an amazing community there and we would love to see you support this work that we're doing and support the podcast. We will see you all next week.